Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. Hey, what's up, church family? Thank you for joining with us for Church at Home this week. I wish we were back in the building. Nobody likes being back in the building as much as I do, but here we are one more week, hopefully, of Church at Home, and I hope that we get to see you next week. Uh, I want you to dial in. I want you to lean into our message this morning. I feel like God has stirred up my heart. I'm hoping he'll do the same in all of us today, that we would have a a stirring of spirit that would happen this morning. And so we're going to jump in. We're in week six of our You Asked For It series, and I'm actually kind of taking a pause on questions that you asked because nobody asked this question six weeks ago when we started this series, but I think everyone's asking it now. And the question is, what do we do now? What is it that we're supposed to do now? We are in just a crazy season, crazy time. What is it that we're supposed to do now? Last weekend, uh, if you saw the midweek update, we were up in the mountains, Katie and I and some family, we got to go up to Estes for a few days and just enjoy detaching and removing ourselves a little bit from work and the chaos of life. Just got to enjoy one another. And uh, one of the biggest tension points in Katie and I's marriage, I don't know if you know this about me, but um, we've always kind of fought over who drives. I don't know if it's ever like that in your marriage, but like Katie likes to drive, but I also like to drive. And so we are, we are driving up to Estes last week. And I tell you what, like we got to see everything. It felt like while we were driving around up in the mountains, we got to see bighorn sheep actually going up 34. We saw elk, we saw deer and we saw the mountains. Like, I don't know. I just hadn't even seen the mountains because of all the smoke and all the craziness going with the forest fires. And so we're driving around. And when I like to drive, what I like to do is I like to look around and drive. I like to peek around and especially with all this gorgeous scenery around me, I'm looking as we're driving and when I look, I swerve. I just do. I'm going to admit it in front of all of you today. It's what Katie accuses me of and she's right. I veer, I drift off into into spaces I'm not supposed to be while I'm driving and this is, I feel like this is the moment we are in as a culture where there is so much to look around at. There are so many things that are trying to grab our attention or pull us into looking at them, gazing at them. And it's stuff that's interesting to look at. Like it's chaotic, it's crazy. It's stuff that grabs your attention. You want to look, but the danger is, is that we're gonna drift. And so as much as we're asked, answering the question today, what do we do now? The subtitle for message, my message is stay focused. We have to stay focused right now. This is what we're going to be calling our church to is just to stay focused on what matters most. I thought last week Kent just crushed it out of the park with his message where he he said the way that we're going to have to operate is in kindness and in truth. And I think what he did was he really framed up well for us that it's kindness and truth. Both are incredibly important. Both are necessary. Kindness is what we struggle more with if we're honest. It's easy to throw down truth. It is hard sometimes to do that with kindness in our hearts. But if we're going to use kindness and truth, like he talked about last week, to sort of frame up the lane that we're going to be running in, what I want to answer today is, then what do we do? What is it that we're going to do with kindness and truth as our bumpers down our bowling lane, if you will? How is it that we're going to go about these next several months living in the world that we're living in? What is it that we are going to do? There's there's so much 
insanity going on. If I just need to remind you for a sec, uh, COVID numbers are going up in our city. We've watched as hospitalizations have gone from like the 20s, the low 20s, up to 50s and 60s in the last week. Uh, we're watching um, a president-elect that we have now with no concession speech, with plenty of controversy to boot. We have things going to the Supreme Court. We have um, all these different things happening with COVID, all these different things where we just watched over the last two weeks, uh, all the businesses in major cities boarding up in preparation for violence. We're watching gun sales and ammunition sales hit all-time highs. What is happening? What is it that's going on? And what I want to say right now in this moment is that this is our time to shine, church. Like, this is it. This is our moment where we get to well up and display who we are to the world. In a world that's looking so dark and bleak, right now is our moment to be a light on a hilltop. Like, when, when you can't stand to watch the world anymore, we should be the thing that the, that the world is seeing. The church should be the people who are stepping in as a sweet aroma in a world that looks terrible and smells awful, if you can kind of follow the metaphor there. Like, it's just crazy. It's chaotic. People's uh, idols, things that they've put so much stock in, is crumbling beneath their feet. People, People's health isn't in their control. Their finances aren't in their control. They're not in control. They're frustrated about what's happening in Washington. And right now is the moment for the church to stand strong, to keep focused on what matters most, and to press into what we're called to press into. And so I have I have a few things that I'm going to outline as marching orders for us over these next coming months. I really do believe over the next few months, what we're going to see is things are going to get a little tougher, but then ultimately I'm hoping for, I'm praying for, you can join me if you want, that six months, eight months, nine months down the road here, we are remembering 2020. And we're saying things like, remember when, do you remember how crazy it was then? but we still got some time to go. Now is the time to press in. There are people in our city, in Loveland, in Fort Collins, in, in uh, Windsor, in Bertha that need us right now to be present, to be faith-filled in this time. And so there's three things that we cannot do. There are three things I'm gonna outline for us that we cannot do in this moment that we're living in. We cannot operate with fear in our hearts. There's just so much fear right now in the world we're living in. Um, Okay, now we're walking down. We were at a restaurant down in Denver and we were walking outside. This was a few weeks ago. No mask mandate outside. Okay, so we weren't breaking any rules. We're walking down the sidewalk without our masks on and this young gal walking towards us literally dove almost over a fence to avoid getting close. I mean, we weren't even that close to her, but she, it just, it made me pause after a moment where I kind of gathered myself and I go, man, there's just so much Fear. There's so many people that are so afraid. When, when my son Harrison found out that Caden was sick, uh, his first thought was, oh my gosh, is Caden going to die? I was like, Harrison, Caden's not even like, he's not even sick really. Like he, ha he tested positive, but he's symptom free. He's fine. He's at home. And like, where did he get that from? Where did he get that fear from? It's just the air that we're breathing in. I, like you can't help but see commercials where all the doctors start talking kind of in harmony. It's sort of creepy where they're like, we all need to stay safe. And, and I don't know if you've noticed this or not. We've been really intentional in our language as a church that we're actually not using the word safe. We're just not, we're not using the word safe in how we're describing our services. Um, what we are saying is that uh, we're gonna be responsible we're, we're going to do things that we feel like are proper precautions to take in the season because I don't think COVID's fake. I don't think it's not a real virus. It's just, I'm not, I'm not fear filled. 
Fear doesn't influence my decision-making. I'm not afraid of another shutdown. I'm not afraid of who's going to be sitting in office come January. Like those things, that fear does not have a grip on my heart. I hope it doesn't have a grip on your heart either. We cannot operate with a spirit of fear. But the trick in this, I think for Christians right now, especially what I'm watching in our church body, is that we have to find a way that we can operate with confidence and not arrogance. And so there's got to be this nuanced spot that we can get to where we are confidently secure, where we are secure. We're not, we're not afraid. We're not fear-filled and we're not, we're not begging for safety everywhere, but we're resting in our security. We know that death is not the worst thing that can happen to us as believers. That it's not, it's not the worst thing that can happen to us. But in my security, I don't want to drift towards arrogance. Where, where I just don't wear a mask and I mock everyone else that doesn't wear a mask and I do these things differently because, because oh, well, you sheep just blindly following everyone. We can easily drift into this arrogance in our confidence. And that's not how we're called to live as followers of Jesus. Jesus was frequently stepping into people's panic, stepping into people's worry, moved with compassion to go towards people who didn't have the internal, eternal security that he had. That's our role as believers, to, to have this compassion-filled security. We are secure of who we are. We're secured of where we know we are going, and we move towards people, not mocking them, not belittling them, not, not letting them be driven by fear, but entering into those tough spaces and saying, hey, like, this is not how you were designed to live. I just think about that girl moving out of our way. I just, you are not supposed to be living with this much fear in your life. Fear cannot be one of our marching orders. I have this great quote from John, John Tyson in his book, Beautiful Resistance. He says, given the role of the media today, the polarization of our politics and the presence of a 24 hour income producing news cycle. Don't miss that statement. We are told who is deplorable and who is worthy of respect. We are told who our enemies are. We are told who our enemies are and why they present a savage threat to us. Things are not presented to us in a fair, nuanced, or civil way. Hate is being cultivated one social media post at a time. And gone are the days where, where news is presented to us for just information. I think we all have to recognize that most of the major news networks at this point are owned by entertainment companies and they are selling us the, the, the emotion of fear. And, and so I just want to remind you, like fear cannot be one of our primary operating emotions. We, we are called to have a fear for the Lord, a reverent awe and respect towards him. But we are not called to be driven by or to be marked by fear. Perfect love is going to cast out fear from our hearts. We cannot have fear being a way that we are operating in this time. The second one is that we can't operate with a spirit of contempt. Matthew 5, 21 and 22. I'm going to read this out of the NIV. It's out of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus is going to say, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago that you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, that word raka is the Greek word for contempt. It's, it's maybe more properly translated in English to the word idiot. Like it's just you, you are belittling someone is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. What is Jesus saying in this passage? What he's saying is that we cannot have a spirit of contempt in our hearts 
towards one another. John Mark Comer, I heard him say recently, content is when you take one part of a person, their political view, what they did, what they said, and you make it the whole of a person. You let that one part define who they are. You demean them and you lower them so that you can elevate yourself so that you can feel morally or culturally, intellectually or ethically superior to them so that you can then look down at them. The spirit of content is everywhere in our age, whether you're calling someone a Marxist, whether you're calling someone a Trumpian, whether you're calling someone a bigot, intolerant, there's just so much of this where we are labeling people quickly And I just wonder if we're taking one thing that they did, a way that they voted, a word that they spoke, a bumper sticker that they put on their car, and we are saying, you idiot, how could you possibly think that way? And in that, sometimes what I know we're doing in our own hearts is we're belittling that person so that we can build ourselves up. It's contempt and it's rebuked by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. We cannot have this posture in our hearts, especially in our own church. And, and I've, let me just pause for a second right here to say, I am so thankful to be your pastor. I have talked with pastors. I was reading a statistic the other day that said 70% of pastors are considering looking for another job at this point. One in five churches potentially are going to close permanently because of COVID. Now is a stressful time to be a pastor. Let me tell like, I honestly can tell you this right now. It has been an honor to be your pastor through this whole thing. Whether you go all the way back to what was happening with George Floyd and all the protests that started there, all of this tension with COVID, all this tension out the election, you all have been pressed into Jesus primarily. And that has been something that has been so refreshing that there hasn't been this spirit of division. There has not been this spirit of contempt in our hearts towards one another, but I think it is there in us. It's been in my heart. This was confronting for me this week that it's in my heart towards other people who think differently than I do. People who I know voted differently than I do. People who think, uh, who want to achieve different things than I do in this world. And I can look at them and I can have a spirit of content. It cannot be one of our operating uh, motives in this season. The third thing that we cannot operate with in this time is operating with misplaced hope. Here's what I mean by that. Um, I think all the frustration and all the celebration over this election season uh, only proves to us that Americans, by and large, have made idols out of political ideology. And so what we've done is we've said, man, you know, depending on who sits in that seat come January, that is going to determine everything for me. And we've said that that person's either going to ruin everything, that person's going to fix everything, that person's going to save everything. If it's not that person, just watch what's going to happen. And, and listen, I'm, I'm not saying for a second that politics are unimportant. I'm not saying for a second that we should not care. What I'm saying is that we cannot sit around and wait for the White House to start fixing the problems that exist in our neighborhoods, the problems that exist in our spaces where we work, in our spaces where we play. God, like the Spirit of God lives in you. Like the Holy Spirit has invaded your heart and is now bringing the kingdom, the rule and reign of Jesus into the world through you. We can't be so convinced that renewal is going to come from Washington, D.C. It's not. It's going to come from the church. It's going to come from the people of God getting involved, stepping into the hurting spaces of this world and bringing, breathing God's spirit, bringing his renewal into the places where we live. Like, So what if the policy doesn't go our way? Proposition 115 failed miserably in this election. Abortion, 22 weeks and later, is still going to be legal in the state of Colorado. It doesn't mean we have to stop being pro-life. It doesn't mean we need to stop showing up in that single mom's life. It doesn't mean that we need to stop caring for, loving for, 
like just being present for our employees, for our coworkers, but showing up, bringing God's kingdom, bringing God's peace, bringing his hope into any situation. So there's just so much that I've seen where it's like, oh my gosh, Lord, have we made idols? Have we made like this worship out of the ideology that comes out of Washington? And, and have we at that same time, while we're looking with such frustration, such hope towards DC to fix everything, have we at the same time then neglected the opportunities that you've placed us in, in our neighborhoods with the people that we're at the soccer fields with on Saturday? Like, are we neglecting the spaces that we can step in and get involved in our own neighbor's life right now. Listen, I, I hope what you can hear in this is, I'm not saying don't care at all about what's happening in Washington, DC. I'm just saying we don't place our hope there for renewal. Revival is not gonna come and it's not gonna be hindered by whoever sits in that seat come January. It's just not. It's gonna come from the saints. It's gonna come from the people of God, from the church, pressing into what the Spirit of God is doing and getting involved in their local communities. And so for Loveland right now, what is it that we're going to do? I don't, I don't know all of it that we're going to do yet. Hopefully you heard the announcement for Life Choices that we're building these gift bags, a pro-life organization in our community that needs our help right now. Make a gift bag this week. Show up in somebody's life. Offer to pray for somebody. Like, do you know how far it goes to just show up to the barista and just say, hey, how are you? And actually like mean that when you're asking them how they're doing. How, is there anything I can pray for you for? I've never once in saying that to somebody had somebody just like snap at me and like want to bite my head off because I'm just some bigoted Christian. No, most people like actually want to have a conversation around that question. Step in, get involved. Don't wait for Washington to fix our problems. All right. That's enough ranting about things that we can't do. We can't operate with a spirit of fear. We can't operate with a spirit of contempt. And we cannot have misplaced hope in things that are not Jesus. The three things that we must do, not just can do, but we must do these things. We must, first and foremost, operate with our eyes fixed on Jesus. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. The author writes, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder, the author, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse three says, consider him who endured for sinners from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. I just, I love this passage because what it demonstrates to us is our, our role is not to kind of just like level up, to muscle up, to do all these different things well, but one of the things that we primarily have to do if we're gonna endure the race that's set before us, and man has 2020 been a race that we've been running in. And if we're gonna endure, if we're gonna get to the finish line, I hope as things start to maybe get better come spring, I hope we don't just like muscle through and kind of barely make it and limp along until we get there. I want to press on and see all that Jesus has for me, all that Jesus has for my family, all that Jesus has for this church in the coming months. And so I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on him. I, I, this is not the time to drift. 
It's not the time to look over here at what's going on there, to get so wrapped up in the news that we start to veer over and go the wrong direction. It's not the time to start fading in a different direction. We have to keep our eyes fixed on the prize, on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. I hope that you are spending time. I would just encourage you right now in this season, maybe the first thing that you do before you open up your phone, before you check your Instagram, check your Facebook, get on the news. I think the first thing that you should do is open your Bible Get to see the author and the perfecter of your faith. What is he doing in this book? What is he doing in this story? How is he, how is he authoring your life right now? How is he writing your faith story right now? What is the testimony that he's going to be building up in this time for you to share in the years to come? We have to operate with our eyes fixed on Jesus. The second thing that we have to do is we have to operate in respectful submission it's just crazy because our faith is, is so counterintuitive that we would say, I find the most freedom in, in giving myself over fully to somebody else. So, so we, don't, we don't look for freedom the way the world looks for freedom. While the world is crying out for autonomy, crying out for liberation from authority, we're actually saying, no, the, the most freedom that I can experience is, is giving myself wholly to this Savior, to this Lord. And I'm saying, Whatever he wants done for my life, I'll do it. Whatever he says in this book, I'll do it. And we press into him. And as we are given to him, that is where we find our liberation. And it's so counterintuitive. And so we're called first to give ourselves in respectful, awe-filled, reverent submission to Jesus. But then the tougher one to swallow is we're also supposed to give ourselves in respectful submission to the government. And I, I can hear some of my friends kind of gritting their teeth at that statement right there. That we're like... We just have this natural, like, wait, you know, this tension that pops up and like all, all, all cards down on the table here for a sec. Like I am, I'm very naturally like a rule follower. I just, I'm a firstborn. I, I have responsibility, my top five strengths. Like I just want to know where the rules are. I want to do the rules. I want to follow the rules and I'm competitive with the rules. Like I will follow the rules and I will try my hardest to beat you for sure. But like, I just like, when there's a new rule that comes out, I pretty much just blindly want to go, okay, yeah, like, great. I'll do that. But most of my friends, it's so funny, I was thinking through all these different people that they're like almost automatically rule challengers. And I'm just not, not saying one is better or one is worse. I think there are a time to challenge rules that are set before us. But like so many right now, when you hear that like, oh yeah, we're supposed to be uh, respectfully obedient to our government. We have all these yeah buts that pop into your mind. Well, yeah, but yeah, but this, yeah, but, and it's just like, hold on, let's see what scripture says. So let's read scripture first, and then I'll kind of unpack what I think Paul is communicating here in his letter to the Roman church. So Romans chapter 13, starting in verse one, he says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. 
pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. If I could kind of condense this statement here down to a phrase, it would be, be good citizens. We are called by God to be good citizens. And, and there's, a, there's a thousand ways we can nuance this text. There's a thousand yeah buts that you could pop into this text. But, but for what I want to draw out right now is that there are three things I think we're primarily called to do. We're primarily called to do the right thing. You, you do what's right. Like, I just love how incredibly low Paul sets the bar in this, that as citizens of a nation, even though we belong to another kingdom, while we are citizens of a nation, we're just going to do the right thing. Now, now that as Christians does not give us a free pass to then whatever the government d- deems allowable or deems as good. Uh, if it goes contrary to scripture, we're going to say, nope, I submit to a higher authority. And in respect, we're just going to not participate in the laws that the, that the empire that we're living in says are okay. And so we go, okay, yeah. I'm just going to do what's right. I'm going to, when I go to the store, I'm going to go. When I go to a restaurant, I'm going to pay my bill. I'm going to tip the person. I'm just going to do the right thing as I'm interacting. The second thing that we're called to do is we're called to pay taxes. Not like use every law in the book, but pay your taxes. We are called to pay your taxes. There's no, there's no statement in here that says, well, yeah, but what if they're not using the money uh, well? What if they're not stewarding it well? Of course, they're not going to steward it well. They are fallible men. Of course, they're not going to use it wisely. Of course, they're not going to use it perfectly always. We're still called to pay our taxes. Use every law in the book to make sure that bill is what it is, but pay your taxes. The third thing that we're called to do is honor and respect our leaders. Honor and respect our leaders. I'm so grateful for, uh, we have a prayer group that meets Thursday at noon, every Thursday. And what I know is that they're going to consistently be seeking for and praying for the nation's prosperity. They're going to be seeking the good of the city, good of the nation, because in its welfare, we'll find our welfare. And so they're going to be praying for all the leaders. They did this under Bush. They did this under Obama. They've done this for Trump. And they're going to do it for whoever is next. And that is, that is what we are called to do. In Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2, um, we are urged then by Paul, he says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Um, I think before we, we maybe just in your heart, you've gone, okay, wait, I'm just dismissing that point because obviously, uh, you know, whoever's going to be in office is evil or whatever's going to happen is going to be imperfect. Uh, just remember Paul is writing this to the Roman church and in the Roman church at that time, it wasn't uncommon for senators to be burning Christians alive as candles at their parties for entertainment, for light and for heat. And, And so we may be on a drift here as a country, but we are certainly not there yet. And I think we can all get on board and just say, amen. Like we are not at that point yet. And Paul is still writing this. We're going to, we're going to honor. We're going to respect. We're going to pray for, we're going to do the right thing. We're going to pay our taxes, even though the government at that time was far, far, far worse than anything we have seen in America. Okay. Last one, last one. We're going to operate, um, with eyes fixed on Jesus. We're going to operate in respectful submission And the last one is that we are going to operate. We must operate with a love for our neighbor. Now in a time when there's so much fear, in a time when there's so much contempt in the world, uh, when there are so many people who are 
putting, they've, they've put their hope in things that are failing them. All this idolatry, I feel like is just being exposed right now where we've put so much hope in our health and that's being taken away from us. We've put so much hope in our bank accounts and that's feeling insecure. We've put so much hope in our political ideology and we don't know what's going to happen there. There's so many things that are being shaken down to the core right now for people that we have to be present and start loving people well. In Romans, if we back it up, Paul writes, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. He's giving some some marching orders, some marks of a true Christian on how we're going to interact with one another. That we're going to be quick to love one another. We're going to be zealous for serving the Lord. That we're going to be constant in prayer. And then he starts to shift the focus a little bit in verse 14. Where he goes, instead of looking at the body of believers, he now starts to look at other people. He says in verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If your enemy is thirsty, remember who he's writing to, this this immense persecution, this immense oppression from the Roman Empire. And he says, if your enemy's hungry, feed them. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I think one of the things that Paul's showing us right here is the highest mark of maturity when it comes to love is not how well you interact with the people who agree with you. Like it doesn't show that you're loving people well or that you're a really mature person by the way that you treat the people that you agree with. What he's showing us here is that true love, what's going to really mark Christian love is by the way we interact and by the way we love and treat people who think differently than us who maybe even persecute us, who want to see evil and bad things happen to us. It's in those spaces that we're called not to, not to fight, not to, not to well up with this intense anger or contempt towards that person, but we're actually called to serve them. We're called to just not, not repay evil with evil, but overcome evil by doing what's good. And it's just this shifting focus that as, as things look dark around us, as things look uncertain around us, we are not called to be sort of just like anxious and tense, but we're called to be loving the people in our lives around us. We're called to be stepping into with this mark of maturity that we can actually love people who abhor us. And the only way that that is going to be possible is if you can receive that God loved you far before you ever loved him. God loved you when you had contempt in your heart towards him. God God stepped towards you when you were filled with sin. God stepped towards you when you were filled with rebellion to his rules and, and doing things contrary to his heart. God moved towards you. 
And so as we receive grace and as we receive mercy and as we receive love from God the Father, what we're called to do then is extend that back out to people around us. And this is where it gets difficult. It's easy to come into church on Sunday and to love and to be excited to see. And, and I remember when we used to high five people, we'd be so excited to see the people because mostly who we're gathered with on Sunday morning are a bunch of people who like us. We all love one another. We get along pretty well, but that's not mature love. Mature love is actually able to step out and to love the people that hate you. And so that's, this is my kind of final ask is that, that as a church in the coming season, I really do believe it's going to get a little more difficult here before it does ultimately get better down the road. And I'm not prophetically saying anything. I just kind of, I'm optimistic. So I'm just, I'm just going with my gut that in about eight months, it's going to be a lot better. But for now, our marching orders are to refuse fear, refuse contempt, to refuse to put our hope into the wrong things. And with our eyes fixed on Jesus, we are going to be running down this lane that has kindness on one side, truth on the other side. And we're going to operate in those boundaries in everything we do with kindness and with truth. And we are going to move looking down at Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We are going to... um, We are going to respectfully submit to our God and to our government, and we are going to carry on loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbors as we love ourselves. And that is our charge. And so this week, what I want you to do before I see you, hopefully again next week, is I just want you to go and I want you to have a conversation with somebody who you know disagrees with you. Get like, go step into someone's life who's chaotic right now. Like just have one person maybe this week that you just offer to pray for them. Go, go, to, go to Starbucks and just talk to the barista for a minute and just see what that, what's going on in that person's life. To bring a coworker in that you know you don't agree with and just, and just ask them to, to, to just have a conversation, to step in and see what's going on in their world right now. And look for spaces, be guided by the Spirit in a way that you can step in and encourage that you can demonstrate the love of Jesus to somebody around you this week. Church, I love you. Can't wait to see you next week. Um, I'm going to pray and then we will be out of here for the morning. So Jesus, just ask that you would settle our spirits this morning. God, I just pray wherever we're at in living rooms or on TVs, on devices, watching this message, God, I pray that you would... uh, that you not be bound. Your Holy Spirit wouldn't be bound to just being in a church building, but would we be able to encounter the stirring of your spirit sitting right where we're at this morning? God, help us to put off fear. Help us to repent and to turn away from being filled with contempt towards people who think differently than us or, or vote differently than us or, or um, have a different idea of how this is all going to be fixed, Jesus. Um, help us to place our hope firmly on you. God, I'm thankful that you are not sitting in heaven calling an emergency meeting about what's going on right now. You, you knew what was going to happen. You're sitting on your throne. You're not making room for anybody else on your throne. It is you, Jesus, who is in control. You have this all in your hand. You will, you will continue to be present forever, forever, and ever. We love you, Jesus. We, pray, we give this whole morning to you. Help us keep our eyes focused on you in the coming weeks. It's in your name we pray. Amen.